Welcome to Season 6 of Business Book Talk. Every week, we have a business book author talk about their book and discover why they wrote it. The conversations are casual in tone, but we try and dig a bit deeper into the subject of the book and discover the author's background and their core ideas. I'm sure you'll like this week's book, so let's get started. Hey, everybody, it's Bob, and I've got 100 tricks to appear smart in meetings, how to get by without even trying. And I've got Sarah Cooper with me today. Sarah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, this book, so sarcastic, but actually incredibly accurate because I know people like this that, that use a lot of these tricks uh, and get caught out every now and again. So I wanted to ask you, what, what motivated you to, to put this book together? Well, I started observing uh, some of these tricks uh, almost nine years ago when I was working at Yahoo. Um, I remember um, someone got up from a table. This was just kind of a regular boring meeting, and someone got up and started drawing uh, something on the whiteboard, and everybody became silent, you know, wondering what this person was drawing. And it turned out to be this Venn diagram that was sort of related to what we were talking about, but uh, really it just didn't make any sense. Um, and instead of kind of telling him he was wasting time or laughing, people kind of started chiming in about how to make the Venn diagram more accurate and, you know, make the circle bigger, make the circle smaller, change the labels. And that I just was really impressed because this, the person who drew this Venn diagram just sat back down at the table, went back to looking at his laptop while everyone else just sort of obsessed about this Venn diagram. And I thought to myself, wow, that made him look pretty smart. So I wrote it down in my notebook, how to look smart in a meeting, draw a Venn diagram. And uh, I didn't look at it again for um, seven years. Uh, but then I came across it again when I had actually uh, moved over to, to Google, many careers later, actually. And um, at that point, I'd been in a lot of meetings, uh, a lot more meetings because I was a manager. And I, it just kind of reignited this idea of, you know, all these things that people do to kind of look like they know what they're doing and impress their coworkers, even if they don't really know what's going on. And I had kind of just amassed a bunch of these little observations. And so I decided to put it together into a, a list, which I turned into 10 Tricks to Appear Smart in Meetings, which was a blog post uh, that came out about two years ago. And um, it just went crazy viral. It just took off on its own. I really didn't do anything to promote it, but people really identified with it. And some people thought it was serious and didn't realize that it was satire. And that was funny um, as well. Kind of the, the comments on the article were even funnier than the actual article. Um, and so from there, it just kind of um, took off on its own. And uh, when I turned it into an illustrated kind of version, um, that's when I started getting uh, emails from literary agents and publishers who were interested in turning it into a book. And so uh, that's when, um, that's kind of how it took off. You know, it just started from these like little observations that I was making and people really just seemed to identify with them. Well, not, not to try and sound smart, but you know, that what you did as a, as a classic marketing thing is create something, put it out there, see how people react. If you get a big, strong reaction, then create more, and that's how you market. Uh, and it's really shocking how a lot of people don't really get that fundamental thing about A-B testing. Uh, how did you feel about the, you know this, this thing kind of exploding and, and taking off when you weren't expecting it to, to do that? Did you have to like 
reassess reality a little bit or, or what was for you, what was your major reaction? Um, I mean, it was really exciting. I mean, if, you know, anybody's had anything go viral, it's really, it's just really cool because you, you're getting a lot of people writing you, you're getting a lot of comments, you're getting a lot of mentions here and there. And so it just is, uh, it, it's for me, it was just validating because I had, um, been doing comedy for years at that point and nothing had really hit like this one had. And so, um, for me, it was a moment of, oh, this is something that, you know, there's an audience for. And so finding that audience was really exciting. Um, I think it also just kind of, uh, reinforced this idea that if something is going to do well, it, it often does well without you doing much because I had always heard, Oh, you have to market, you have to write to, you know, journalists, you have to like do all this stuff. And I think all of that is important, but you can't really make something uh, go viral unless people really enjoy it, uh, you know, regardless of how much work you do to, to put it out there. Um, and so that kind of, I mean, it's kind of unnerving because it just means that, you know, there's really no, great formula. You know, there's just, you know, things are resonating or things aren't resonating. Um, and so this one just really resonated and it just kind of reinforced the idea that I was just writing what I knew. I was just writing my everyday experience in meetings. And they always say, you know, write what you know, but sometimes you don't know what you know. And it turns out I just really knew <laughs> meetings very well. <laughs> well, you know, let's, you know, that we on this show, obviously we talk about business books, but uh, there have been several books out there you know, like Meetings Matter and Maximizing Your Meeting Capabilities, blah, blah, blah. Do you feel that meetings are a complete waste of time? Is there a purpose to meetings? Should we forget meetings and try and do stuff online? I mean, we are in a different world. Why are we doing meetings uh, now when that was something from the dark ages? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that meetings are necessary. I think that's one of the surprising things is that um, even people who have been out of the workforce identified with this article, meaning that like people who haven't even been in the corporate world for 10 years still identified with it. So it's like all of the things that are happening now happened, uh, have been happening for a long time, which is really scary. Um, and I think that things are changing. I, uh, start to see more people on Slack and, and having sort of, you know, meetings that way or kind of getting to, you know, decisions that way. Um, instead of meeting. And so I think that as we you know move forward, meetings are now a last resort instead of the first thing that people do, um, which I think is a good thing. But then there's the other side of it where people are going back and forth in email and all of a sudden you have a hundred replies on a thread and you know maybe a 10 minute face to face would save you all of this going back and forth for weeks. You know, and, and so I think there's just a balance that needs to be um, that needs to be hit and I don't think meetings are completely unnecessary, but I do think that people sometimes have them in order to just hear themselves talk or kind of impress other people. And those meetings are definitely unnecessary. God, yeah. I, I, I hate being flown into a meeting and then be sitting there and say, I, I could have done this over the phone. Yes. <laughs> Why did I waste three days doing this? It's a real, real resource waster for sure. Yes. Um, so when you brought the book out, and you were, you know, air quotes, uh, a published author. Uh, did people perceive you differently? 
Um, well, the book's only been out for three weeks, mm -hmm. so I... But I you've been talking it up. Come on. You must, you know, on Facebook, oh, my God, I got a book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that people are, for better or worse, you know, kind of superficially impressed with um, the act of, of publishing a book. And I think maybe from my perspective, I, I also had this like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm going to publish a book. This is so, so huge. But um, the actual experience of it, has, you know, it's been a lot of work and I think it's still going to be a lot of work. It's not like, oh, you publish it and it's done. Um, I guess I, sh you know, probably should have realized that. But, um, you know, there's just, a, just, there's a lot of work that goes into it. But um, yeah, my parents are really proud. My friends are excited that they know someone who wrote a book, you know, things like that. So that's good. Yeah. I, I, uh, getting the, pa the parents proud, that, that's a big, you know, think, oh, I've done that one off the bucket list. Now yes. I can travel. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it, it the, the the weird thing about doing a book is nobody, nobody, even writers that have done books before, remember or realize that it's yet another product and you have to sell it. You have to go out there. You've got to do a book tour. You've got to promote it. You've got to build a new website. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of work other than just doing the book. And, uh, you know, if you spent many years uh, in a field and then decide, oh, yeah, I'm going to write a book and then, then it's over, I think it's a big shocker for people that uh, it's like, oh, my God, they, they want me to do all these meetings about a book. It's <laughs> like, ah, I've created a monster. Yeah. So when, you, when you've written a book about meetings and having to do the meetings <laughs> that you wrote the book about, yeah, it can get pretty tiring. <laughs> <laughs> um, now... Obviously, this is a book that you don't have to read cover to cover. Uh, when you were deciding on the editing, you broke it up into different sections and stuff like that. That Was that you or was that you sitting down with an editor and, and saying, okay, we kind of got some themes here. Let's make it work a little bit. Um, it was um, it was mostly me. I The original idea that I had for the book before I even had um, an editor involved was more of a broad office tricks book. And... Um, I was running the idea over with some colleagues and one of them said, you know, I bet you could write an entire book about meetings. And I thought, well, that might be interesting. And so that's when I started to think about like, what would that look like? And um, when I started to um, explore that, that's when I came up with, oh, well, there's all different kinds of meetings. There's one-on-one -on -one meetings. There's those impromptu meetings where someone just comes by your desk and says, hey, can I grab you for five minutes? But then it turns out to be your entire afternoon. Um, there's the brainstorming meetings. There's the conference calls. I had tons of people like, oh, what do you do in a conference call to look smart? Um, so all of these different situations um, kind of made it easier for me to think about well, what are the, the tricks that make sense in each of those different types of meetings. And so I had come up with those uh, while I was doing the proposal uh, with my literary agent. Um, so that's, that's where it really came from. The only real feedback that I got was I wanted to do a chapter on video conference calls and uh, most companies still don't do video conference calls. They, they're still on just regular phone conference calls. So that one had to be changed. But I, I pretty much uh, was able to make all, a lot of those decisions um, on my own or, or with my agent. Hmm. Do you think this book is more targeted for millennials or it's for anybody that's in business, no matter what age? Um, I think it's geared a little bit more towards people who have been in the workforce for a while, just because a lot of these, uh, a lot of the tricks that you see in it, uh, you'll laugh because you'll recognize them. And so if you haven't been in the workforce very long, 
you might not laugh because you might think, oh, that's interesting. I guess I'll look for that. You know, you might not realize that it's it's um, humor. Um, although I did at a recent book signing, I had a few kids come up to me who were in high school who had started kind of a business club and they were so excited about the chapter on, you know, 23 meaningless diagrams you can draw on the whiteboard. And they were so excited that they had practiced drawing all of them. (laughs) And so again, I'm not sure if they realize that it's a joke, but they, they did enjoy the book. So I think, I think it's a little bit more for, for older people who can kind of recognize these things. Yeah. The irony. I mean, that's what it's all about is you're going through this book and you're like, Oh my God, I have experienced that so many times. And it's, it's it's kind of, for me, it it was cathartic in a lot of senses because, you know, for many years I've been a frustrated meeting goer and then realized that, well, you know what? Everybody kind of hates meetings or, or parts of meetings or certain characters in meetings. And that somebody's put it all together in a book really shines a nice bright light on it. And, it enables you to kind of go into a meeting and, and have a different attitude. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's really the awareness of the fact that this is just uh, kind of how it is. And sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of um, it, it, it's helpful knowing that you're not alone and you're not alone in feeling like this is kind of um, a struggle to get through these meetings and really, truly, everyone feels this way. I mean, the feedback I get sometimes is that people don't know how to stay awake in meetings, which is something that I remember going through a lot, especially in college, even just staying awake um, was hard. And so, um, yeah, people are like, well, you know, what, what can I, you know, what can I take away from this? Or, you know, is any of this real advice? And it really isn't real advice. But if you can become more aware of these little things that people do, then, you know, it might make it easier for you to a avoid doing these things and and b kind of laugh when someone does them. Well, definitely. It's a good uh, trick to keep notes. Because one of the things is I always look like you're doing notes. Um, and it's like, oh, I'll hang on that guy used uh, trick number 14. And there's number 27 <laughs> over there. Yeah keeps your brain occupied. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, going through the book, there's some really good stuff in here, which even though this is tongue in cheek, it will actually work. Do you think that uh, evil demonic people in the office will use this book for bad? I don't think so. (laughs) I, I think I give evil people a little bit more credit. I think that they're probably pretty smart. And so even if they... I feel like the evil people are doing this already and they don't, they, they don't need this book a and B they, they, a lot of people look at this book and they're like, well, I'm smart already. I don't need tricks to appear smart. And those people are especially evil because they don't have any sense of humor. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I I don't think I'm, I'm less worried about people doing it um, maliciously than I am worried about people who are just sort of naive um, doing it because they really think that this is what they're supposed to do in meetings um, I, you know, I, I keep track of how people find me online and how people, um, what terms people are using to search in order to find my website. And I'm shocked by the number of people that are actually searching, how do I look smart in this meeting? Or, you know, what can I do to look smart in a meeting? And people are genuinely looking for advice like this. And so that was the one thing that I was worried about in in being too straight with the humor or or making something that really looked like it could be a real business book because I didn't want people to um, lose the context 
that it was supposed to be funny because there are people that really do want to get ahead in their careers and, you know, going to meetings and looking like, you know, what you're doing is actually a, a pretty big part of, of, you know, having your coworkers and your boss and other people think that you are on it and, you know, and you know what you're doing. So I didn't want, I, I really, that's the thing that I worry about the most is just the people, especially maybe people who, um, are, are like, uh, didn't grow up in the U.S. and maybe are just coming in from that perspective, and and they might think of this as some sort of manual. Like that's that's the thing that I worry about the most is that people would look at this as a real guide. Well, you'll know that happening when you start selling millions of books into China. <laughs> yes. Or you see a, a actually you'll really know it's happening when you you uh, see your book, but it's been uh, basically copied, and uh, it's has been changed. <laughs> For you, what was your aha moment when, you know, obviously you're a funny lady and um, you you have a, a quirky sense of humor. When you were going through and, and putting this down into a book, what was the, the one tip or, or thing that really suddenly became a, a bedrock reality for you? It's like, oh my God, I've, I've known this for years, but now I finally get it. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think the uh, section, there's a section in there that uh, is about um, what to do with your face, which is <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> the emotional intelligence. And um, I think for me, that kind of solidified in my head this idea that, you know, I've always felt sort of like an outsider in a lot of situations. And coming in, I've always been, you know, observing and like trying to figure out what are the unwritten rules of this interaction. Um, and I think. I have I don't have a poker face and so it's very easy for me to just you know let everyone know that I'm confused or that I'm excited you know it's very it's very much written all over my face and so I think that for me writing putting together that part and actually um you know drawing the faces and stuff like that was like oh these are like the you know you could give this to like an um artificial intelligence like robot and and this would help him like that robot like become human in, in each of these situations and i felt like that was sort of like a, a key for me of like oh well, these are sort of the unwritten rules that people can you know that people tend to follow whether they know that they're doing it or not um and uh i thought for me that was kind of like one of the one of the funnier moments yeah, there's a you know, for me there's a whole group of people out there, me being one of them sometimes, where, you know, they're very intelligent, they know they've got a lot to give into a meeting, but they just don't know how to stick the foot in the door to get into the conversation. They're not bombastic yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times the people that are like super charming, um, you know, are I'm just, you know, I'm not that doesn't come naturally for me. I'm not super into like small talk and stuff like that. And um, I've always been the type of person that kind of observed those things that people did to make people really like stop and listen or, or respect that person, despite the fact that the person actually wasn't saying anything um, that, you know, intelligent. Um, I remember when I was, uh, my first job was in an ad agency, and I remember the creative director would just walk around um, pissed off and just not impressed with anything. And 
I just feel like people just had so much more respect and like uh, for for this guy, despite the fact that all he was doing was just not being impressed with anything. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, I just need to not be impressed. Just never be impressed with anything and people will respect me. Of course, I I can't do that because if I'm impressed, you'll know it. But uh, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of frustrating. I think it's frustrating for a lot of like really smart people that you know, sometimes getting ahead has nothing to do with how smart you are. It's it's how smart you can make people think you are. Mm-hmm. It's all perception and branding. So, you know, you've been in, in some large organizations and, and obviously some small ones when you got started. Is there a massive difference between a large organization like Google and a, like a, a mid-sized company or basically meetings exactly the same? I think there is a difference. Um, I think that when you're when you're at a pretty small, um, I, I worked for six months at a small startup. I was the fo- like the first real employee, and there was only like four of us, and um, that was just a, a different, definitely a different vibe, and definitely less pre- less pretenses about you know um, trying to look a certain way. It was. I guess when you're a small company and you have to be really scrappy and you have to, you have, you know, serious deadlines, meaning like if you don't get this done by next week, you know, you, there will be no funding and there will be no more company. Um, when, you, when you're up against things like that, um, I think, you know, there's just no real time for stuff like this. Um, whereas large companies, uh, it's kind of unfortunately baked into um, to getting ahead is, is kind of well, what is, what is my, what is the person whose job I want doing and how do I do that? And like, and that person is thinking the same thing of the person above them and who's probably thinking the same thing of the person above them. And so I think you do get more of the, um, you know, oh, I got to send an email like this in order to, you know, make this person, you know, think a certain thing about me or whatever it is. Um, and I think there's just more of that in a large company because, you know, there's, there's time for it. There's, there's money for it, unfortunately. And there's also just more of an audience. There's more of like a bunch of people that you have to, that you have to, and like you get to interact with, um, in order to, you know, make yourself look like, you know, a certain, a certain way or whatever it is. Um, you know, in terms of like, you know, getting promoted, um, a lot of it is like you said, perception when you're putting together, um, a list of th- a list of your accomplishments. A lot of times, you'll look at well, what were someone else's accomplishments? How did they write? You know, how did they make this accomplishment sound much bigger than maybe it was? You know, what are the words that they use? Like, how did they describe it? You know, all this stuff. And it, I think it turns into this like effect of like everyone is just sort of imitating everyone else um, in order to get ahead. And so I think that there's just much more of that in a large company. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. It, it it it's almost like nobody really knows how to act and and so they mimic everybody else that they look at as oh this must, person must be important what do they do? And it's unfortunate because if you've had an asshole running the organization then you get an or- organization of assholes. Yeah, and it's so true and it it's um it it really does it really does affect people exactly in the way that you said where if the person in charge acts a certain way and that's the person that's the vice president then that like without anyone having to articulate it that becomes the way you become vice president is you act like that and um yeah i mean it, it's it's really unfortunate but that's just how it is 
So I would think this is a book that uh, C-suite should be reading, right? Because it'll, it'll, you know, cause it makes them aware. Like if you, you're in C-suite and you're there making major decisions for the direction of the company over the next five years and this book is discussed at a meeting, they can have a good laugh about it, but they could also look at it and say, well, okay, so yes, it's fun and everything and it's light, but it's also pointing out real things because if it was if these things weren't real it wouldn't be resonating with all us and every other person in this organization how can we change our organization by using this book as a, a as a way to either cut down on meetings or make meetings more efficient or or evolve the company so it can become a better company and if it happens from c-suite down it's got a much higher chance of happening even though a lot of times what c-suite wants never happens um so, so you know, in, in a big, beautiful, perfect world, would you be excited if something like that happened or would you be horrified? Um, if it meant that I made a ton of money, I'd be <laughs> totally, totally fine with that. I mean, I, I do. Um, it's, it's interesting kind of straddling the line between being insightful versus being just funny or being like humorous. And um, I do tend to notice like, you know, especially like on something like LinkedIn, people do want, they, they kind of want to laugh, but they more are interested in the learning and being insightful and being, you know, sort of inspirational. And so I notice when I do stuff that's more insightful, that does a, a lot better than, than just straight um, humorous stuff. Um, but then at the same time, like my, you know, my heroes in comedy, like, you know, like Louis C.K. or um, Chris Rock, like, you know, sometimes they're insightful, but a lot of times it's, it's just hilarious. So I, I kind of like, I, I do kind of worry about being like a, a, like a serious voice um, speaking through comedy. I, I don't know. It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. But then again, you know, if that means I get paid a ton of money, then I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah, but after a while, and this is a real sad thing in reality, is you can you can make a certain amount of money, but after a while, that's not what motivates you. And yeah, I haven't gotten to that point yet. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of my goals, not to be motivated by money. Yeah, I would love to be there. That, would, that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes for very interesting job interviews, that's for sure. This is, yeah, you know, we got this much money. and say, oh, whatever, but, you know, what about this? What about that? And I've done some research in your company, and what about these? problems you're going to fix those problems and i mean a lot of times i terrify people in interviews because they think that i'm after their job or at least the company so it looks to me like i should be more humorous <laughs> yeah and 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 way less insightful <laughs> do you plan to do another book or was it this uh, brutal enough for you to just do once um, well, I actually signed a three book deal with my publisher. So this was my first book deal. And, um, so this one, a hundred tricks to appear smart in meetings. And then at the same time, I published a corporate coloring book, which is called draw what success looks like. And, uh, you can, uh, go through and color in low hanging fruit and someone getting thrown under the bus and do your kind of resignation letter, mad libs and things like that. So that came out at the same time um, as the 100 Tricks book. And then um, my third book um, is going to be coming out next year, and it's still sort of TBD uh, what that book is going to be. But that, yeah, I think probably after that book, yeah, I'll probably take a little break from writing books. Wow. So uh, what are you going to do? Get a job? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to spend all the money I made. 
<laughs> no, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll figure something out. Probably continue, you know, writing on the Cooper review and, um, yeah, ho- maybe hopefully turning some of these things into, uh, something that might be on television or, or on uh, Netflix or something like that. Well, I wouldn't actually, I've got a note down here. Um, do you consider yourself a sit down stand up comedian? Um, yeah, I do. Um, I, you know, people, I, I put comedian in my title mostly just to kind of frame what I do a little bit better. Not that I'm, you know, traveling city to city and performing at clubs every weekend like most, you know, stand-up comedians are. I do stand up from time to time, but most of what I do is um, uh, drawing or writing and putting that online. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm mostly, yeah, like, a, yeah, what you just described, sit down, stand up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, are you looking at doing more like corporate gigs where you're coming in as a keynote or, or, or somebody to, to, to start a large <laughs> meeting um, where, where you have thousands of people or hundreds of people at an event? Yeah, definitely. I'll be doing uh, more of that next year. Yeah. Mm. So maybe the third book will be about doing those type of meetings or do stepping events, you know, how to do or how to master TED Talks because <laughs> that's just a big thing. There's TED this and TED that and then there's keynote speakers. There's a whole pot. There's a, well, there's a whole industry of people that just get up and talk with a bunch of people to get them thinking the right way, get them present. So the next person that's coming up, the guy that's doing the boring speech, but the actual important information, at least they're not falling asleep. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's an important um, thing to have, and that's definitely something that I want to do more of um, in the future. Um, it's interesting, though. I feel like as soon as I wrote a book like that, I think it would be out of date um, just because things change so quickly. I mean, the things that I've noticed is, you know, something happens, and then it's something that people sort of look up to, and then they look up to it long enough, and then all of a sudden there's a parody of it, and so now it's getting made fun of. And now it's not really relevant as a thing anymore. So something else has to come in to take its place as the thing that you're supposed to do. Um, and I think that, that that's kind of that, that's kind of what happens in like the the TED talks. You know, there's certain things that people did maybe 10 years ago that are kind of funny now. Um, and then the things that people are doing now might be funny in whatever two years or whatever it is. Um, it's it's just interesting to to watch how how things you know, that seems so like, I mean, it happens all the time, even with like, you know, titles, you know, people's business titles, you know, it's not really, you don't really call it human resources anymore. You call it something else, but that something else, you know, gets made fun of. So they have to call it something else like chief fun officer or whatever it is, you know, they have to come up with a new thing, but that new thing eventually is, is looked at as being ridiculous. And so it just changes so quickly. Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, you know, that goes back to you, you, just because you're rebranding doesn't mean that you fundamentally change the company. You have to fundamentally change the company, then rebrand to that new reality. And uh, people, they don't get that. They think it's a shortcut, which is kind of, you know, that's the whole humor about this book. It's, look, if you guys want to cheat and go into a meeting and, and play that you're smart and play the role of, of being a, a clever person and people being, ooh, ah, he's so smart type of thing. In the long run, that's going to bite you in the ass. Do you think that's kind of like the dark side of the book too? Where And we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but people taking the book as, oh, well, this is the this is my shortcut Bible, the, my crib notes to success. But, you know, what happens if it's incredibly successful in getting you to that position and suddenly it's like you're making big decisions and you know what the hell you are? 
Yeah, and that's how you get Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's an extreme version, but I, I, I you know, there's lots of people out there. Um, well, there's actually a phenomenon where, where there's lots and lots of CEOs that are out there that think they don't deserve to be in that position and are terrified that somebody's going to come in one day and point a finger and say, you're a fake, get out, you're fired. And they tend to be incredibly good leaders because they're conscious of their, their, their failings. They are constantly trying to make themselves a better person. They would take a book like this and, and, and take it really seriously. I mean, they'd laugh at some parts, but they say, you know what? I'm doing this way too much. And oh my gosh, I've done this before. What an asshole. I, <laughs> I, I've got to improve myself. Whereas a guy like Donald Trump would go through it and say, yeah, but I do this better than anybody else. <laughs> right. So it, it, it's it's having the ability to take this information and use it to improve yourself. I think it's an incredibly powerful book for, for anybody, you know, even a student that's considering getting into to the world of... of uh, business or, or even starting their own business is to be conscious of there are people out there that are like this. And if you can use this as a guide to try and figure those people out or discover that the reason they're doing that thing is they're terrified that they don't know what they're doing and they just need somebody to help them, maybe that's a good thing too. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I uh, I wrote this post uh, on non-threatening leadership strategies for women, which is um, on my site, and it's just about how women sort of change the way that they talk sometimes um, in order to not be perceived as threatening. Um, and it's a very tongue-in-cheek again satire. And um, I think the just the awareness of the fact that oh, this is how you know I sometimes change how I talk, or this is uh, something that I might do. Just the awareness of that, I think, is is really important. Um, so people can kind of take from it what they would like to take from it, but um, the fact that you're more aware of someone else employing one of these tricks or yourself, just that, just that alone um, will probably change people's behavior. Um, because it's like, it's like, you know, it's like the matrix all of a sudden, you know, like, you know, it's been, it's been revealed to you that these are things that people do. And so you might, um, you might be able to deal with it better once you know that that's thing. Those are what that's what people are doing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest ways to deal with a gremlin is to actually say, you know what? I do have gremlins in the back of my head <laughs> saying, "Bob, you're a bad person." Then you, if you know they're there and you're not unconscious of it, you can deal with it in in a constructive or non-constructive way. But yeah, that's a big first step. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you did mention a website. Where should people go to find out more? Um, the CooperReview.com is my website, and um, I post on there regularly. So, yeah, check it out. So, you know, if you were going to describe the Cooper Review, how would you describe it in one word? One word? Yeah, geez, what a jerk. <laughs> uh, fun? I don't know. Fun? <laughs> Sarcastic? I yeah, guess fun, it, sarcastic. in your face is three words, but yeah. I mean, you know. Well, my my tagline is funny because it's true, and it's just it, that's kind of the essence of everything that I do is is really um, make you laugh by showing you the things that just happen. Hmm. When you were in school, and I, I mean like high school, um, were you the class clown, or were you just looking at the class clowns and say, "Oh, I know how he does that." I was always a class clown, and I wasn't like a zany, like crazy, you know, 
uh, running around class clown, but I definitely had the snarky remark or the, you know, thing that I would say under my breath that would make people laugh. Um, yeah, that's always kind of been me. And that got me into trouble in the business world a few times, but kind of couldn't, couldn't turn it off. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you must be a lot of fun in parties too. <laughs> yeah. Once you get <laughs> well, going. Well, well, or how do we shut her off? How do we shut her off? She's yeah, exactly. killing people. Yeah, everyone's left. <laughs> <laughs> but she's having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's one thing that a business can do or a business person can do or a student or whatever to kind of become more conscious of these things other than go running out and buying the book? I, I think it goes back to just being present and um, responding to whatever's going on in a meeting or any kind of work environment. Uh as honestly as you possibly can, not with some rote response or some canned thing that you've heard other people say or, um, or some idea of what you think the right response is. And so it just takes a lot of self-awareness to be able to do that. Uh, and, and so that people really feel like they're having a genuine conversation with you and not with some representative of the company or some representative of you or whatever it is. But um, so I think that 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 really is that really is the key is just not um, not doing what you think you're supposed to do, but just do just responding how you genuinely want to respond. Um, and if it turns out your genuine response is one of these tricks, then it doesn't matter. It was genuine, so it's fine. Um, but yeah, I think that that's that's really the key to like wanting people to talk to you and and really getting stuff done is is just being really present and listening and responding in a way that makes sense for that moment. You know, no matter what. Oh, absolutely. I mean, being present that's probably one of the biggest or most most powerful business tools out there is is shutting up inside your head as well as outside your head and listening to people. And like earnestly and, and, and then responding to what they just said. Yes. Way better way. I will add to that, though, that um, one of the, you know, one of the people that I looked up to the most at Google, I, I noticed that he was an extremely good leader um, and an extremely good listener in terms of being able to um, sit back, let people share what they were thinking, um, observe what the what ideas were being shared and then repeat back essentially just repeat back what people were saying um, and, and help us come to, you know, a conclusion or some kind of decision. And uh, I thought it was so brilliant because everybody wanted to be in a meeting with him because they knew that the meeting would be um, interesting, it would be productive. Um, and I think a lot of that was due not to how smart he was, but just his ability to really listen to people and really be able to um, make everyone feel like they were being heard when it came time to make a decision. Um, so yeah, definitely listening is just a huge, a huge part of it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things too is in a meeting when you're doing the back and forth, when you in like the white hat creative process of, of coming up with these cool stimulating ideas, you have to, at the end of the meeting, uh, go back and reevaluate those things because in the cold, hard light of day, uh, some of those ideas don't sound so great or people have the, a misconception of what you actually meant when you said, oh, let's do X, and two or three people are perceiving X totally different than a couple other people. So definitely that's a very, very good strategy to uh, 
go back and, oh, these are the five things we talked about at the meeting. This is kind of how I perceive them. Is this is how everybody else is perceiving them? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A lot of times things get lost um, sort of in translation or people remember things differently. Memory is just a weird thing. You know, it just is, it plays tricks on people. So yeah, that's definitely very important. Oh, yeah. I mean, how, how many times have you been at the dinner table and said something and somebody said, what? And I said, well, I just said pass the coffee. He said, no, you said something completely different. And in, in their mind, they think they're right. And in your mind, you're saying, no, I didn't say that. And <laughs> it's that's just we are flawed creatures. And when people communicate, it's probably uh, a higher chance of flaw happening because you've got two things going on at the same time. And we're not very good at multitasking. Thinking about what you're saying and saying it at the same time, there is a big gap of reality there that uh, you're kind of surfing. And and I think people that are shy or overconscious, they think about that part too much. And people that are bombastic, they don't think about it enough and they tend to sound like they're BSing all the time. Yeah, it's very true. Mm -hmm. um, one last thing before we run away. Are you a big reader? Not really. Um... I don't read. I don't read very many books. I, I read a lot online, but mostly like news and stuff. So yeah. Hmm. Do you think that there's a, a trend away from you know business books and 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 reading books to educate yourself because there is so much online and you kind of after a day of reading you have kind of done. I think that there's a trend against. Um, reading books cover to cover, but there is a trend towards uh, buying a popular book, skimming it, and then posting online that you read it. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's kind of what people are doing is I, I think that people are still buying books and they're still um, talking about books and wanting to share that they have a book and et cetera. But are they really reading it cover to cover? Are they reading it twice? No, probably not. Um, but I, I mean, I think that it, it, it's, it's funny, but it actually makes people buy more books because they think, oh, I'm going to read all these books, but they're not going to read all those books. They still bought them, you know, and they still, you know, kind of admire these authors and will follow them online and things like that. So um, I, I don't know. I, th I think that people just don't have the um, attention span a lot of times to, to read a book cover to cover. And then, like you said, if, if there's an excerpt online or there's just a quick, you know, uh, a crib note or something like that, that you can, hey, here's this book in like five easy steps, like they're going to probably read that and feel like they've read the book. So, mm. yeah, well, thank God for blogs. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think that um, I would like to see more business books like this that have lots of illustrations. They're broken down into like 10 or 50 or 20 or 100 points um, because you just don't have time to like read hundreds or tens of thousands of words to get uh, 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 like a theory or an idea across that's going to help you with your business. Like I've got... 320 books that I've interviewed for and after a while you start to see a repeated theme a repeated knowledge just being introduced slightly differently so out of all those books there's only two and here's the second one that was an illustrated book departing knowledge there was another one that was uh, made into a graphic novel out of England and that was about risk management and that was really interesting um and the, the way the book was, was designed, and there was a ton of information, but because it was in a different format, it really 
it's a book that you can read on a, on a flight to a meeting if you're you know got a two hour flight. It's something that you can get through on a couple of commutes, and that has way more value than a book that's four hundred and fifty pages that you only read ten percent of or five percent of because you're missing it. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. So, what do you got planned um, for the book tour? Are you going to be traveling around, or are you going to do everything remotely? Um, I've done a, a little bit of traveling. We did uh, a, an event in DC and one in New York, and um, and then I'll be doing a few events here in San Francisco. Uh, and then, yeah, I think that's that's about it. I'm kind of like um, it's going to be kind of an extended thing where I'm just kind of going where people would like me to go whenever they'd like me to go there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll be I'll be around, and there's an events section on my website um, that you can check out if you want to see where I'll be. Sweet. And uh, how do people reach out to you? Do you prefer to be on Twitter? Are you a Facebook person? Where are you? Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter, Sarah CPR on Twitter. And uh, I'm on Facebook as well. And um, you can also just email me um, at the Cooper Review. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much every, I'm anywhere people want me to be. <laughs> nice, nice. 100 Tricks to Appear Smart in meetings, how to get by without even trying. And I've had Sarah with me today, and it was a fun time chatting with you. Thank you. It was great chatting with you. Thanks for listening to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Like us at Facebook forward slash business book talk. Follow the host on Twitter at Bob Garlic. Visit the website businessbooktalk.com for show notes and lots of other great interviews. See you next week.